Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. of things musicians don't talk about. Today it's me, Hattie, just giving a little intro, a little update into us, what we're doing, before we get on to the episode with Guy Withers, who is the CEO of Waterbury Opera Festival. And we just love talking to Guy, like, wow, you're gonna you're gonna love this chat, I just know. Um, but first of all, what's going on with us? Well, we just wanted to say that we are so thrilled to have given our first ever in-person panel discussion last week at the Royal Academy of Music alongside the beautiful Ellie Conster, our friend from her ensemble. Thank you so much to everyone who came, who shared, who listened and who was just so honest with us about your stories and journeys and who asked questions and really made us think about the work we do and how we can make it better and and the conversations that need to be had. Um, It gave us a lot of hope that there are people asking difficult questions that need to be asked. Um, But yeah, it was also difficult to hear that obviously things that we've dealt with are still going on. There's still a lot of work to be done within conservatoires and within classical music in general. Um, But of course, the first step to things changing is for organisations and institutions like the Royal Academy to have these conversations. And so we're really grateful that they wanted to open up that discussion and hope that we can continue some kind of dialogue with them and further afield and maybe do more of these kind of discussions in future because it was just the best. Like, meeting people in person that have listened to the podcast is just like... I just I felt so emotional. I just wanted to hug everyone like so much and just say like thank you for listening. You've made this such a beautiful space. Um, but anyway, that whole thing of working differently, the whole like asking questions, yeah, trying to do things in a new and different and more inclusive way is just something so at the heart of our guest today, Guy Withers. Um, he was such a joy to speak to about his vision for an opera company and how he started the Walter Perry Opera Festival a few years ago. I want to say it was like five years ago. I should probably double check that, but yeah, Guy has a background as as a singer um, and went to conservatoire and did that life as well. So he kind of has this incredible like empathy and understanding for musicians and has become especially supportive of those early in their careers because he obviously is aware of like the difficulties that you might face 
Um, so yeah, he spoke to us about Water Perry Rock Festival, what it's become, um, the work that they do, the awesome things that are coming up. The festival runs from the 12th to the 20th of August in Oxfordshire and is combining performances of Mansfield Park, Peter and the Wolf, The Marriage of Figaro and so many more. Like, wow, there's a big, awesome, exciting programme. You only have to go on their website to look at the little like clips of the work they've done in the past to be like, I want to go. I really want to go and like experience this. It's so different and so cool. So, yeah, Guy's vision was that opera should become the creative, inclusive, expressive art form it was founded as. And he's so passionate about this whole project. It feels like it comes straight from his heart. And he's so proud not only of what he's made, but of what everyone in the company has done to make it what it what it is today. So, yeah, it's a really inspiring conversation thrilled to have Guy speaking to us and just thank you Guy and to everybody for supporting, listening, talking and yeah without further ado let's get on to our awesome interview with Guy Withers. Well we are really thrilled today to be joined with Guy Withers who is the artistic director of the Water Perry Opera Festival in Oxfordshire. So welcome, Guy. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me on. I am very well, thank you. Um, it's been a lovely long day working in the office, getting things ready for the festival. So, But it's, my, it's a pleasure to come now and speak to you both. Awesome. Uh, so where's your office for the festival based? It's a floating office. And the reason, oh, the reason for that being that um, we do stuff obviously at Water Perry at the festival but also this year for the first time we're touring and so I have been I've had met offices all over the country sometimes on trains mm. as well uh, just depending on where I am trying to organize things so it can be here in London which is where I live but also I go to Water Perry regularly too so but today was London tomorrow uh, or Thursday I'll be at Water Perry so back and forth round and round. Oh, that's really fun. So busy. Yeah. So busy. So Water Perry is celebrating its fifth anniversary this coming year. Is that right? It is. Five years. I certainly feel five years older, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, but five years, very special. I mean, uh, when we started, we only thought, well, give us a go. See if it feels right for everybody. Does, does, it, does people want this? Does, does it feel good? And now we found ourselves five years later and trying to think about the next five years, what we're doing year 10, really. So that's very exciting. That's mm. amazing. The uh, programme that you've got coming up seems really, really uh, inventive and inspired. Like when I think of an opera festival, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just going to be same old, same <laughs> <Lot> old. <laughs> you've got eight productions this year. Yeah. But is there an overview of the festival that you'd like yeah. to just put sure. out there? Yeah, of course. Uh, as you rightly say, Water Perry Opera Festival is no ordinary opera festival. Um, and that is in many different ways. Uh, I think twofold, really, in that the sort of what we put on is very different. Uh, yes, it's opera, but also it depends what you define as opera. I think it just means music drama, really. So, gosh, what can that be? Everything from we stage song cycles to obviously a few big grand opera things, but even then we try to look outside the major canon and do a lot of contemporary work. And we do lots of things for families too. So as an example, this year, we're bringing back our Pete and the Wolf, which is a piece that we have 
created into a sort of interdisciplinary dance piece. So you've got everything from your major opera in a much more sort of established, okay, here's a big stage, lots of singers, orchestra, all the way down to let's go and see Peter the Wolf in a garden with a couple of dancers. So it's really, really varied. Um, and we love to explore how we can make anything really a theatrical experience. So, so that's, I guess, one thing. The second thing that makes it quite different from a, every other opera festival is that we like to program the whole season like it's an arts festival. And so you can come on a Saturday and you could see seven different things. Not, not all the productions that we have on offer, but, but most of them. And all the way from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., there's things on. And so you come for a day, almost like you were more at, I guess, Glastonbury than you would be at Glyndebourne sort of thing. Wow. I mean, I'm already gagging to know. Hattie. <laughs> <laughs> As that came out of my mouth, I was like, is no. that appropriate? No, probably not. <laughs> I am um, desperate. <laughs> is that probably. <laughs> it's not getting better, Hattie. I'd love to know oh. more <laughs> No, I'd really love I'm to gonna know I'm going to have to edit about... this. Yeah. Okay, let me start again. You gave such a wonderful overview, and now I'm just like taking it down a few pegs. No, I'd love to know more about the inspiration behind this idea. Can maybe just you give us a bit of a background about about you and you know yeah. the vision for the festival, or even the vision sure. that you had for your life. Oh wow! Um, vision I had for my life. Gosh, <laughs> I, I, I get, we get deep. You know, it's it's just part of it. Wow, God, I'm I sorry, never, you're gonna have I never, never thought I'd have a vision for my life. I don't think I have a vision for my life other than okay. to say that um, I love exploring ideas. I love exploring new things, and I think I never like sit, sitting still. I think my colleagues at Waterbury will definitely agree that every single year I like to push the boat into even more uncharted waters, uh, sometimes too much. But I think that's great because it means people are challenged with their ideas and you really encourage artists and audiences to make a step just outside of their comfort zone is something a bit different. Anyway, going back to um, your, your actual question, uh, introduction of me. So... Um, I grew up singing. That's really how I came to opera. Uh, I was a choir boy. Um, I loved singing. My parents didn't know anything about music at all. And they were very supportive. Thank, thanks to them uh, for sort of getting me lessons and putting me in the church choir. Uh, I also did lots of local theatre too. So I think I fell in love with both music and theatre separately, two different things. Um, and they didn't come together until I was in my teenage years. I loved uh, singing as a teenager. And I always thought it as an extracurricular thing. I thought I'd get a proper job, in inverted commas. Um, and my parents had no idea how to become a professional musician. They worked in normal jobs, like my mother was a policewoman. My father worked for Royal Mail. So they were like, musician, great. I guess you'll learn an instrument maybe, or join a choir. They had no idea how you pursue it. So, uh, but they were very, very supportive, regardless of, of, of that. Um, and at 15, I discovered opera. I went to see an opera, my parents took me, and I was like, this is incredible. I just fell in love with it. I, my, my idea of what opera was, was completely blunt about the water. I thought opera was, you know, big stuffy outfits, lots of fat people singing on the stage, and I'd be really bored. In fact, the production of Le Rigoletto that I saw was set in uh, Manhattan in the 1920s, and there were gangsters with guns, and I was 15 thinking, this is bloody cool, you know? <laughs> I want to I want to do this. I want to see more of this sort of stuff. And I didn't really know how passionate and visceral it could be. Um, and that just set me on my journey. And so I then went to university, did music. Um, and then as a singer, primarily, I then said, well, 
I want to go and try and pursue a singing career. So I eventually went to Royal Academy of Music and did a master's. But all the way through that, I had um, a feeling of wanting to make things happen. Um, and the singing was quite structured. So you join a choir or you do a solo. It was very much you take your you sort of take your part and, and you do that. But I was really interested in, OK, well, how can we get these things, these ideas to happen? My friends wanted to do things, whatever. So I started producing at university and um, founded the Opera Society at Cardiff, where I was, and then started to direct and, and produce shows and make choirs and, and organise concerts and, and just really got a buzz out of making things happen. Um, and I guess seeing little niches that I didn't see filled, um, ideas I had. And so, you know, over the last 10 years, I've really nurtured both the singing part of me, but also the part of me that really likes to see interesting things happen and to make them happen um, and to involve my friends and my colleagues in making that happen. And so Water Perry has sort of been the combination of me over the last 10 years, uh, producing here and there, and then suddenly saying, this is where I'm landing here, this opera festival. And this is my opportunity to, I guess, make a difference as much as make the work that I've always wanted to make. I think it's incredible. And, and you know, obviously quite a, not typical path, but like, yeah, for for a lot of musicians, I think for a lot of people listening, they might not be surprised that, you know, maybe that's a, a path that someone that has become, you know, creating an opera festival would have would have taken. But I suppose my question is, were there things in other opera festivals, not naming names, but maybe things that like, you'd always slightly thought, ah, not maybe I don't like this, but I want to do this a bit differently. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think there's the obvious things that people can all agree on, which are affordable ticket prices, removing barriers to access to the arts. So if you're going to put something on, how do you make sure that it is at the same time as, as enticing and interesting as possible, as well as removing any barriers that people might have to accessing in the first place? And that can be anything from what language is it in? Is it in the vernacular? People are going to feel like they can immediately understand it. Um, to, you know, are the tickets really expensive? Can I afford to go? Not to say that going to an opera festival isn't a really special thing and therefore should add, have value associated with it, because I think that's important to say as well. But, you know, if you're going to buy a ticket for something, whether you're going to an Adele concert or you're going to go to an opera, you know, I think it, it, it's a special occasion and that's fine. But you also need to make sure that it's within reach of as many people as you possibly can. Um, so, so that, so I think that's said for. I, I, I believe in that. I think most people in the sector believe in that. In terms of the unique part of what Waterpro offers, I think I really believe in the intimate, immersive, and uh, sort of visceral nature of being really close up to the action in a place that's also really uh, interesting and really evocative. So outdoor spaces, indoor spaces, places that aren't concert halls or theatres, which me, I personally find quite clinical and quite, I guess, rigid. And so when the opportunity to start Waterbury uh, sort of happened, I looked at it as a wonderful opportunity to create stages, to create sets in lots of diff different and interesting outdoor and indoor spaces and really put the audience as close to the artist as possible. One of our objectives as an organisation, and you can read our website, is about um, bridging the gap between audiences and artists. And I think that can be done in many different ways through discussion and through sort of a connection. But ultimately, I love putting audiences right in the middle of what's going on and for them to be whisked away and to just feel like they have the most 
perfect personal experience they can ever have. So creating productions in woodlands or in, in fields or in ballrooms or in dining rooms or whatever, or, you know, could be in a car park, you never know, but you're not going to get that experience anywhere else. And I think that's what's really excites me. Mm. I, I feel like the past few years have been quite, um, I was going to say trendy. I don't mean trendy. I mean, like there's been a lot more awareness of accessibility and um, making things a bit more kind of innovative. Maybe that's not just the past few years. Anyway, what I wanted to ask is um, what has been your biggest challenge in terms of making it something that bridges gaps? That's a really great question. I think it depends who you're talking about, because accessibility in terms of audiences can be many yeah. different things. Um, it can be about physical accessibility. Can they access the places we're taking them? As soon as you say, oh, we're going to take you to a woodland and really immerse you, you say, well, how are you going to get to that woodland? And if you're in a wheelchair or you have a problem walking, how are you going to get there? And so that's a challenge. So, and also we are in a rural space, so you can't just get your bus there. You can actually, but you can't, you know, it's much more difficult than just rocking up um, out of the tube and walking to the Royal Opera House. So there are benefits to being where we are, but also there are challenges there. Um, I also think that um, how you choose to present the work and how, and the sort of atmosphere you make you put around the work is really important. If you make people feel that they belong, they have ownership, that Ward Perry is about them, for them, um, then that is, I guess, the greatest way in which you can make people feel like, not only do they feel like they have been thought about, but that actually that that it is absolutely for them. You're not removing the barrier, you're welcoming them into the door and into the room with you, literally. So there's that. And then in terms of wider accessibility, you know, we have looked, recently we've done projects with um, BSL interpreters. We've talked to local children, local communities. How can we, I guess, step out from where we are as a site and start to engage more widely as a sector? How can Waterbury be part of the world uh, and I guess the, the arts generally. Um, so yeah, that, that and I guess building not just audiences for the future, um, but also maybe building and developing artists for the future or, or other people for the future. So that's sort of part of our, our remit. And then in terms of artists, accessibility is really difficult because you know when you're starting a company that you can't maybe pay everybody the, the rates that the Royal Opera House pays or there are things you can't do that others can do because your resources are limited or you haven't got that much experience or your networks are small. So when you start, that's the biggest challenge because you don't have the years of support and resources behind you. So that's really tough too. Um, and I think that's a, a big challenge that lots of young companies try to overcome is how can we make sure that our work, our company is accessible to all the artists we want to work with too. Um, and, that, and that's tricky. Yeah, like I hadn't even thought about accessibility to the artists. But yeah, you often hear like, I don't know, I've done quite a few gigs where I'm getting paid to do the gig, but the singers are paying to do the gig and you're like, wait, yeah. what? And that's a big thing. And I wonder whether your experience as a singer yourself has informed your role now. Hugely, absolutely. And I think that's relatively unique. There aren't many, there are a few artists, directors and CEOs that artists first um, but if you look at the big opera houses they're mostly directors or they move through producing elsewhere I feel like I'm an artist first and foremost um, and so I really understand what people are going through and I've struggled through my singing career that I that I have or have had um, as well and I've been those that person that's paid to be part of something thinking this is going to be great 
but thinking, gosh, I'm lucky that I can pay to be part of this training. Um, who isn't getting this training um, because of that? So that's so that's a real uh, important thing, you know. Um, accessibility, accessibility needs in terms of travel, accommodation. Where are these people coming from? We started a young artist program the first year. It's also five years old this year, and part of the remit of that program was to deliver something that I wish that I had when I was 21, 22. When I came out of university, I had I knew nothing about how to get into the sector. I felt like I needed more skills, more resources, a network, but I didn't have the money to do those things. And sometimes conservatoires can look a bit out of reach or places that you don't necessarily feel like you belong. So part of, I guess, a remit of what we're trying to do with the festival, but also Young Artists Programme is create a place where people are safe supported and at the same time they don't lose out so we pay for their travel we pay for their accommodation we give them a stipend to look after themselves with their program and i guess it's just creating opportunity where people who in otherwise would not be able to access the arts at all so trying to be part of a small solution in how can we both create and develop accessibility for young people coming through helping to nurture a more diverse complete sector of, of artists as well as how can we also diversify and encourage new audiences to come to to see that work so it's, it's twofold and I really believe in that um, uh, but, but it's tricky it has challenges and I'm not sure I found the solution and the solution won't just be me either or, or what Waterpro does it will be a whole sector initiative. Mm. I'm really curious to hear about the things for you that have been like oh this is why I do it like I can't, you know, I can't wait for the next year because of this element to it. You know, what has been like the, the, the most joyful part of it for you in terms of that? That's a really interesting question. And I think what's really important to remember is the moment of interaction. And I spent my entire year planning, fundraising, thinking, you know, in spreadsheets on trains and you know it's for a really good cause and you know you really believe in it, but I don't think you see that until you see the moment when music happens, where theatre happens, where art is created and audiences' faces light up. And I think what I, at the moments where I feel most relieved and inspired are when people, audience members come to me and they say, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, it's it's amazing. It's not all what I expected, and I and I and I. It's amazing, and I just feel uplifted, uplifted. You know, I feel like they've gone and had a great time, but also they go home and they feel like I feel great today. I feel great today because I had a wonderful time, and I think it's those moments that make me think, "Gosh, this is really worth doing," as well as creating great art and believing that I think the work we do is really awesome and that I want to be really innovative in the opera sector sure and that I want to provide great entertainment for lots of audiences great and I want to help train young artists fantastic but I think we all do it because we really believe in the power of music and theatre to transcend and that I remember being a young person and seeing that opera and going amazing I want to do that I just feel awesome now and I think I want People, every single person that comes to Waterbury to, to feel that. And when that happens, people come to me and they say, oh, I just feel inspired. I feel uplifted. This is great. It's a surprise to me. That That's that's what makes it worth doing all this hard work. Mm, yeah, that's wonderful. I wonder whether, because for me, I find that there's a certain sense of like, your work is so impermanent. And I wonder whether there's a certain sense of satisfaction of doing something that feels more 
documentable. I don't know. I don't know where this question has come from. Oh, I don't know what you mean. But That's cool. Like, That's really I don't cool know. Idea. It's, yeah, as a trumpet player, obviously I enjoy doing concerts. Mm -hmm. But if somebody asks what I do out of the blue, all I can do is play in the state that I'm in right now. And that's mm. me being like, this is me. But I wonder whether having the joint thing of being a musician and somebody who creates these massive projects, is there like a sense of satisfaction in here's what I do and I can show you? That's a really interesting question um, because I'm not sure you can capture mm -hmm. what happens in that moment, even if you try to. We have created loads of trailers. People can go on our website now and they can see the trailers for the next, for this year or for or previous years and highlights reels. And it gives a sense of what it's like. You can see what it looks like. But I think we'd all agree that um, you could take a video of what it looks like to be at Glastonbury, but I don't, you know, it must be so different to be there. I've not been to Glastonbury first of all, but I can imagine you can, you can, you know, we all know the difference between watching something and experiencing it, right? Um, and I think great to have a way of documenting and showing and sharing that. And I think that encourages more people to be part of that, but ultimately you can't capture it. And I struggle with this because um, when I'm trying to say develop fundraising or partners or whatever, and I try to tell them what Waterfair is about, they go, sounds cool, but I don't really understand. I don't really get it. <laughs> you know, you, why are yeah. you taking a piano outside in the wood? Why, or like, why are you only doing it for this? Or, I don't really get it. I don't really get it. It's, so it's like these other festivals, but not, and, and, and that's hard, particularly when you're talking to established opera audiences or people who know the sector, it's not quite the same. And so I'm always saying, come to Waterfair, come, come and let me show you and then they get it. And then they can be advocates for, for what we do. Um, I, I find otherwise it, it's very, very difficult. It's great as photographs and reviews are, you, you can't really do it unless you're there. And I guess because it's not a sterile environment like a theater or concert hall, um, I always say this about Glyndebourne, Glyndebourne's great and all the other festivals are great too, but effectively it's a theater in the middle of the countryside, yes. But when you walk into a theater, you could be at the Collie, you could be anywhere else. And so you're seeing a production that could be at any theatre, pretty much. Others might say, well, it's different theatres. But I think ultimately you're entering a theatre space. If you come and see a show at Waterbury, it could be rainy one day, it could be boiling sun, it could be hailstorm, and that will affect what happens. And uh, We did um, Hans and Gretel last year. We, we basically created a stage in the woodland and Hans and Gretel took the children off into the wood and... We had, uh, it was amazing. We had a, we had a piano that wow. piano that stayed in the wood. <laughs> so it was all very, very sort of tactile and very, very, uh, yeah, very sort of uh, adventurous. Um, every single day it was different. Some days it was wet and so it felt very sort of boggy and murky and other days very windy. And so the rustling of the trees sort of meant it feel very sort of spooky in other way. And that's a set piece you cannot recreate. And so in that way, even the different shows are completely different. And even if you try and capture that, you won't be able to see it because you'll be feeling cold or you'll feel like rain on your jumper or whatever. And you can't bottle that unless you do it. So it's that visceral experience that, that really excites me. And so to answer your question, yes, you can bottle a little bit of it and show people, but it's not the same as as coming. And although I feel very proud of the legacy we've built, and I can look back and say, wow, five years, 19 productions or something that we've done to, in those five years, it doesn't feel real until, until you're there. It just feels like a dream. What a great answer. <laughs> yeah. You've talked about it being in the middle of the countryside, but, but what without giving the magic away. What do people see when they when they come? You know, is it a 
is it all are all the performances open air or is there like a tent or like <laughs> great question okay how does it look what's your how does it look well um, yeah. that's great so firstly you turn up at a country estate it's also a garden center uh, and a tea shop cool. so it's a very sort of um, domestic uh, I guess down to earth sort of place because you. you My have, mother would love it. Yeah, you can you can buy a rose, you can it. buy a rose bush, but you could also have the cream tea at the same time. And the thing is, actually, to centre the community in that in that way, so that's great. So if you turn up, you park in the car park. It's clearly a country estate, like we would know it if you went to a, a national trust property. So again, not your typical theatre experience. And then yes, you walk down the avenue towards the house, and you will see a number of marquees with different things marked on them like you know a hub space or box office or whatever or bar and so those spaces are there and so the, the sort of thing you probably would imagine at any sort of festival not opera festival but other festivals you can imagine so yes you turn up and you come to the box office you get your wristbands for the different shows you're going to you might get a program blah 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 and then one of our stewards will come to you and say what are you coming to see and you'll say oh, i'm coming to see blah 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 famous opera or whatever and uh, <laughs> uh it's a great well follow me and so the stewards will lead you and it depends where and we and we take over the entire site and build theatres and spaces and all sorts of nooks and crannies around the site. You might be taken into a wood to go and see an opera or into a ballroom to see something else or whatever. And it really depends on which day, at what time and on what you're seeing. So this year, for instance, Mansfield Park is returning. It's one of our favourite productions. It's been going for five years now. That takes place in Waterbury House and we take over that house and it becomes the set for the Regency period Mansfield Park. That is cool. It's really cool again. So, oh so you, if you like Austin or you like sort of Regency period, you step in and everyone is covered in head to toe in, in period costume, including the pianists who I do. I, poor musicians. I know you're both musicians. I love integrating musicians into shows because I feel like they often get forgotten. I love being drawn, you know, drawing um, the performative aspect of musicians into the, the pieces and really, really celebrating that. So for Mansfield Park, the two pianists that play on the piano are both dressed as footmen. And so they welcome in the audience and they, and they talk and, and everyone's in their costumes and, and yes, so into the ballroom. That's a very different experience to say our Pete and the Wolf also at Waterbury this summer, where you get taken into the gardens, into a secluded area by the tree, by the pond, and the dancers tell you the story there. So it depends on the show, depends on the day, at what your experience is going to be. And as I said, depending on what the weather's like, you know, it can be a glorious day, it could be a bit cold and that will affect what happens. I think that's very exciting. It's striking me how like, you, you seem to be really like you don't um own this festival with like both hands grabbed onto it like trying to control it like I don't know I feel like you're very much keen for it to be a natural organic kind of experience which is a shared experience as well yeah it's a new thing to, talk, to, to hear someone talk about it like that which is awesome. It really is a shared experience because I think as many performers will agree, and hopefully you both do, that if you have one person in the audience or you have a thousand people, it will feel different. Um, and you have to, I guess that the art exists between the two. And so, yeah, you have to let go. I mean, I try to set up everything literally, but also I guess in, as a metaphor for the art to happen and for people to enjoy things. So. Um, you have to relinquish control and also working outdoors is really tricky and so you're having to look after lots of people artists as well as audiences and guide them through what they might not 
sure what's going to happen, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of you're, you're a caretaker, really. That's how I see the role. I think, yeah, it's often that when you when we talk to someone that's a CEO, mm-hmm. like you just imagine, I guess maybe it comes from your role as a singer as well, that, you know, you, you, you haven't been a, a business director first, mm-hmm. um, that your artistry comes through kind of first and foremost, which is really interesting. Thank you. How did you learn to do fundraising and stuff? Was it just on the job? Yeah, that was my next question. Like, we're trying to do stuff at the moment. And we're like, oh, you hate this. I'm so bad at asking for money. <laughs> One thing I will say is that I started out wanting to create opera and theatre and music. I didn't start out wanting to be a CEO. But unfortunately, to make sure that that happens, you have to become a CEO. And so I've really spent the last five years learning how to be a CEO. I always knew that I could pick the right singers and get the right art, you know, people and directors together and make the show. I could always make the show, make sure that could happen. But I didn't know how to create a company. Um, so that's the journey I've been through, and including fundraising, including strategy and logistics and team building. And, um, you know, there's no training for what I do. Um, you can't go to like CEO college. I guess you can go to business school, but um, <laughs> it's but you know I, I don't run a company like many other CEOs do. And even Water Perry Opera Festival is very unique in the opera sphere. Anyway, it's not like running the like an orchestra or even a big opera company. It's quite different. So fundraising, um, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of learning from mentors, people who would speak to me. Um, I always try to speak to as many people as possible who've done it before me because they have the wealth of knowledge. Um, but it's a lot of trial and error and a lot of speaking from the heart, actually, I find. Um, whether you're talking to a donor and you're trying to, as I mentioned before, bottle a little bit of that magic and sell it to them, um, it just takes time. And you certainly get used to asking for money um, because I think if you believe in what you're doing and you know it's really good and you know if you don't get the money, it's not going to happen, then you soon get out of your mind the thought of oh I feel awkward about asking for money because you're just thinking I need the money to make sure it happens um and I know if you give it to me it's going to go to a fantastic cause much better than perhaps other causes I don't know um and so you get used to that um so I do quite a lot of that and and I you know try to develop relationships with donors and people who from the very beginning of the festival have really invested in many different ways in what we do and hopefully they see the benefit they see how special it is and they become advocates and start to i guess become ambassadors and encourage others to get involved just to come or just to you know help out and however they can and then other fundraising trusts and foundations arts council that takes a lot of time and you need to have loads of things sorted like what's your mission and what's your vision and what's your constitution and what's your objectives all these sorts of things and so that's been a big learning curve um, but eventually we got there and uh, we've grown and grown and grown, but it's a lot of trial and error. Um, and my, my only experience really is fundraising for opera and for music education, really. So I don't, I can't offer any immediate advice on, on fundraising <laughs> for a podcast, but, but I, it's really interesting. And I, and I actually think it's one thing that a lot of people in the sector could wish that they knew more about. Um, mm. How can I, I have the initiative to make my own projects, for instance, uh, I want to see this happen. I want to start this ensemble. I want to do this, but I don't know how to make it happen. And I know it's really good, but how do I do that? If only there was a place where that could happen. Not just that, but, you know, how do I do my self-assessment tax return? How do I know how to become, how to get a business account? All that sort of stuff. They don't teach you that at college. And so 
that's really important stuff that actually I think is stopping a lot of people with great ideas doing things. So we try to do a little bit of that Waterbury and the Young Artists Programme, but it, it's difficult. And luckily I had people around me. I built a board of people who could support me um, and the rest of the rest of the team. Um, but but it, it's hard. Effectively, trial and error, learning a, learning a lot. And um, now it's mostly what I do. I sit in front of my laptop and I just try and think about the health of Waterbury. How can we, as I said, think about the next five years rather than just this year? Because if I can do five more years, I know I can reach a lot more people. Wow, yeah. You talk about, yeah, trial and error a lot. And because this is things musicians don't talk about, mm. um, would you feel comfortable talking about some of the errors? Yeah. Gosh, I mean, there's a lot of... Yes, Rebecca, I'm so glad you asked the question. No, it, <laughs> there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk in so many ways. There's... Um, artistic risk because you're saying okay director designer musical director cast um go off and do this show i really believe in you that it's going to look great i mean i'm going to be great and audience is going to love it and uh, i would say almost all the almost the entirety of the time it comes back really well and everybody loves it but sometimes you know things happen uh, and you have to deal with people um and deal with working with with teams and, and that's where it gets really rewarding but also really difficult because lots of people are working together lots of freelancers coming together to work on a project and there could be tensions and that could be really tr tricky and so again a lot of my time when i'm not thinking of money i'm looking at the people how i can support them and deal with the things that do go wrong uh, when people aren't supported or there's been miscommunication or there's been a fallout and that happens all the time like it would be in any situation um so so that's that's the tough stuff and that's where you learn very quickly how to handle that um and you have to just be accountable for your mistakes you know whether mm. i haven't been there for for an artist that needed someone to be there uh, and i'm ultimately responsible as a person at the top of the, the pecking order um or it's been a mistake in the contract and someone's been um left hanging or something that's on me you know and you learn from those I've, I've learned something over the last five years and that is it's not the mistake you make it's how you then deal with that mistake because i will make lots of mistakes because i'm learning and people do and that's fine um but as long as you say look i did it wrong and i'm sorry and uh I, you know it, it wasn't malicious here's how i'm going to make it right for you um that that's been a really really good learning curve for me um but there are lots of things that have gone wrong for sure and you know m money as well you know <laughs> we're, we're um, a growing organization and you you put a lot of money into a project and then maybe no one comes to see it you know or <laughs> you know that and, that, and that's really scary I'd give up. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and that's really scary because yeah. you're, you're putting your life and soul into i love this project i want everyone to see it and yeah. then one person comes you know thankfully that's not happened much but but it could could do particularly when you do something really wacky, they go, oh, no, no, thank you. And then you think, oh gosh, well, I just do, I'll just do all the normal stuff then because people want that. So that's really, really tricky mm -hmm. to sort of feel like, actually, I believe in this vision. I believe in making this work and doing these things. So you've got to really, I guess, encourage people to come to you. It's tough. It's tough for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, other mistakes, I guess, <laughs> trying to put a piano in a, in a boggy woodland, I wouldn't recommend that. I was um, worrying about that. Yeah, that's tricky. <laughs> um, you know, trying to get, because of course, um, and this is one thing I didn't really realise when I started an opera festival, but it's not the middle of the city. So when it, night comes, there's no light at all in the middle <laughs> of the forest. And so, okay, so you, you're, you're, 
so, so you need torches to do things and then if it rains okay how are you going to get the the lorry or, or the van with the piano you've just bought down this muddy path through a wood oh, to get no. i know so there's things like that and then of course you provide this piano for, for for a lovely pianist and they say what is this <laughs> and i say <laughs> i know i know um and i think part of it is just trying to get everybody on board with the vision and understanding that it's not always going to go quite as planned but if we get there in the end it's going to be great so it's a lot of those logistical things and again i'm not an ex- i haven't been an expert in putting together marquees or organizing lorries but i've had to very quickly last year i'll tell you the fun- funny funny thing it went wrong here we go we had a lighting designer design a lighting for our production of elixir of love on budget great fantastic it got a about a month before and my production manager said, uh, this light, how is it going to get to Water Perry, this lighting? And I said, oh, it will be on the van, won't it? The van's on, on the higher quote. And he said, no, no, the, we, we paid just for the lights, but the lights are going to be in London. You know, we need to pick them up. That's not included in the price. And, I, and, I, and then we suddenly went to like loads of lorry quoting, you know, to get quotes. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we can do it for a thousand pounds. I thought, oh my God. So I had to crawl to my board and say, I need a thousand pounds, please. So I can get the lights to make sure that the show is going to be seen by everybody, you know? And so sometimes those things happen. Hattie, your face looks like you're in terror. (laughs) 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 Um, It just seems like nothing will stop you, Guy. Because I would honestly have ran away and cried and just not come back. And and it's tough. (laughs) It's really tough, you know. And uh, I know you guys talk about mental health. That is really hard. You know, I feel the personal responsibility to make sure that everybody gets paid. It all happens. And if it it doesn't, it's it's on me. And that's really tough. Luckily, I've got a really supportive and really dedicated team that also work really hard. And we're all workaholics too. So taking breaks and going on holiday, that's as important as making sure that everything comes in on time. Um, but also having people around you, and that's people like my fiance, my friends, also a board. Uh, and we have a non-executive board because we're a charity, so lots of people who uh, on this board can help support. They can look over a contract if I need some help, or they might be able to, you know, take something off my hands if I need to. Because I'm young, and my team is young, and we're small, and we're really ambitious, but we don't always know what we're doing, and we need support. And that support wasn't always in the professional sphere. It can be personally. And there are so many times we've been at Waterpair and we're up late because the marquee's got a hole in it and it's pouring with rain onto the stage. How are we going to resolve that? It has to be resolved. Um, and so you have to make it happen. <laughs> so I've, I've learned to just, I guess, make it happen somehow and believe yeah. that it will happen. Um, you have to embrace the fear. Once the festival's over, do you find it hard to not jump straight into the next year's swing of things? Or do you, <laughs> do you take a break? Uh, I do take a break. Um, I have to, um, because I really need it physically as well as mentally. Um, my fiance will tell you that I will finish and I will literally almost fall asleep for days because I've spent everything. Um, in terms of the next year, I've tried to, and this has taken five years, um, I've tried to move to a system where I think about next year now. So in fact, I've got a meeting with a board member this next week and I'm meeting my musical director next week to talk about next year. Can we get plans for next year down? Just so that 
I haven't got to think about it immediately after the festival, you know? And so if we get things moving, I can then take a week off and I can go on holiday or I can just stay in bed and watch something on Netflix. Um, but as much as I really don't want to touch anything waterproof related for a while, the itch comes back really quickly. Mm. Really quickly, I want to get back and I want to think about the future. I think that makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. That my body and my brain is saying, yeah, I need a break, but you know, a week, I really want to get back in and start again. That's that's really good. If I haven't got that, then I, sh I shouldn't be here. Um, so yeah, but breaks wow. are really important. The only other time I get a break is really at Christmas. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because, because, you know, casting happens immediately and we've got to, you know, it takes a long time to, to put an opera on and the Royal Opera House will take years to do it. We just take a year. So it's a long process. Wow. I didn't realise that, to be honest. I was thinking you were going to say, yeah, have a break and then start again in January. Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I would run it. <laughs> ブラジルは3ヶ月を、4ヶ月を、スタートしてる。ピーポーダウンランビジネスイズライクウィーランドポッドキャスト。ああ、ファイン。アフガー。ファイン。ファイン。ファイン。ファイン。ファイン。ファ
you know, create the satisfaction in maybe a different way to which it did in the past, but mm. in a way that's still, you know, very tangible to you. Because I actually feel like I'm becoming more and more going that way myself with yeah. what we do, you know, on the podcast and even yeah. what I do in my day job um, in the music publishers. Like, I do feel like, oh, like, okay, I'm not playing anymore, but it's like a new kind of artistic satisfaction Absolutely. through Absolutely. through this. Like, yeah, I feel like that's, that's one thing that that's not massively much discussed of there being an ability for us to, to have this, you know, very nice experience of being a, a performer and then maybe thinking, ah, oh, this is now my time to become something slightly different. It's almost like a tennis player retiring becoming a tennis coach but not quite yeah (laughs) but it is a different thing isn't it but they still have that same satisfaction from coaching anyway I don't know if that made any sense it it does it does make sense you feel connected you're still being part of the magic um but in a different way and I think I'm okay with that I'm okay with that um I miss it I miss being on stage but I also know that actually I think my place is off of it um Mm and helping others to be on it instead. When you do sing, how does it feel going back to it? Uh, Now, it feels like picking up a bike after years of not riding one, which is thrilling, but also really scary because you're like, how do I move (laughs) my legs and how do I steer? Um, And so I might do the old concert or something, uh, which is really exciting and I love it. And I guess I do it now for more the pleasure as much as it helps as a part of my career. Um, yeah, I feel equal amount sort of unprepared and also excited. Whereas before, I think when I did a lot more singing, it felt like a job. And so in a way I get best of both worlds because I get to step up there and and do my singing and it might be the only concert I have within months. Um, and so it feels special, um, and doesn't feel like a job. Uh, but I also do feel rusty and I certainly do feel rusty. I feel like, oh gosh, have I got, where are my cufflinks? And and how do I do this again? <laughs> I haven't sung this in ages, you know? And so the, there is something about um, uh, you need to keep practicing literally, but also you need to keep, I guess, on that train. If you're, if you're a musician, you're a performer, you, you, you need to keep that part of your brain, your body working and going. And I think you lose mm-hmm. a bit of it if you don't exercise it. So um, particularly the singing, uh, the voice can get literally a bit rusty. So um, getting, you know, keeping that fresh is, is tricky, for sure. Does it feel different, apart from the rusty side of it, but yeah. like psychologically, does performing feel different to you now? I think I, mm-hmm. I, I think it gives perspective a bit more. Um, sort of stepping back in on, if I go on stage again, I can look back at the people organising the concert and sort of think, I know what that's like. <laughs> the same way where I can look at people who are singing on stage and and say, I know what that's like. And so I feel very lucky to be like that. Um, I think there is a wonderful warm glow of organizing things, you know, and you get to feel proud and uh, you get great gratitude and, and sort of, um, yeah, it feels amazing to make things happen, but there's nothing like the visceral adrenaline rush of performing. Um, and I think that sort of uh, you know skydiving feel that you get when when you perform that's an amazing drug, and it's and uh, I really see why people love it, and I, I loved it too. So yeah, I miss that. I do miss that. Well, I I'm really would love to hear sort of to finish off a little bit. What is 
the actually first of all can you give us the details for the festival <laughs> how can people get involved how can they follow you on social media that sort of thing first of all yeah of course and then after that you can let us know your highlight that you think people should not miss oh okay that's gonna be tough because i have to name my favorite child won't i that's basically what i have to do <laughs> yeah. um so so water pair okay so it's it's in august this this summer as it always is uh, it's the 12th to 20th of August this year at uh, Waterbury in Oxfordshire. Um, and there are many different productions you can come and see, uh, but you don't have to necessarily just be an audience member. You can volunteer. You can come and you can be a steward or you can get involved and you can be part of the festival as well. And if you're an aspiring singer, there's a young artist program to look out for for next year. And if you're an artist too, you know, please get in touch. And we have a website waterperryoperafestival.co.uk but also we're on all the social media so uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook um, you can find us there and and uh, keep uh, a lookout because we've got lots of things coming including our tour of Mansfield Park which is actually going around the country right this second oh my gosh cool yeah I didn't know that oh yeah so, sorry <laughs> I didn't mention that yeah so Mansfield... no, no no it's not your fault <laughs> no so Mansfield Park, um, which I mentioned before, in our ballroom, we're taking it on tour this year for the first time. Oh, wow. So Congrats. Thank you. We've just been in Dorset. Uh, we're going to be in Newbury next week, and then we're going to be in all around the country, basically. And uh, it's a, All the Austin places. All the Austin places. <laughs> and and uh, we're, trying to, we're taking it to all these beautiful sort of period spots, so ballrooms and galleries and old wow. manor houses. So, um, Are you going to bar? Uh, we wish if, some, if somebody oh. if there was somebody in Bath listening in on your podcast who has a big great but if they have a <laughs> if they have a big period ballroom yeah that sounds like all our listeners then then that person definitely get in touch <laughs> please because we should do an advert there we go actually my best friend Jasmine's from Bath <gasps> Uh, but yeah, she doesn't have a ballroom, bless her. Yet. But does Jasmine know any ballrooms? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. Does she have any memberships exactly. to ballrooms? Or ballrooms. <laughs> you'll get that. You'll get to bar. This is this has to happen. I'm so inspired. We'll now. make it happen. <laughs> um, so there we go. Well, that's awesome. So to finish off, we have started asking our guest for the little win of the week, or in our case, of the day. <laughs> Because we lasted this last day. <laughs> so we'll unless you have one that you're sure of right now, we're happy to go first. Go first, because I'm trying to think of the things that have Yeah, <laughs> so anything that has been like a little victory, however small, that's been like, ah, oh. because we realise that like a lot of the time in this podcast we focus on like very serious topics, mm-hmm. quite intense, but like let's finish it off with something a bit more cheerful. So Rebecca. Over to you. <laughs> My win of the day <laughs> is that I was going to say I only had two coffees, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to say that I let Stuart, my boyfriend, help me with a bunch of things. Like he drove me to college and he cooked me dinner and mm. I wasn't like, no, don't do that. Well, I was a little bit, but I let him do it. Yeah. yeah. That's that awesome. Nice. I'm also just like plugging Stuart. He's Go, he's great. Go Stuart. He's the best. Go Stuart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, Stuart needs an award. That man. He is very nice. Um, Hattie. So I've actually had a huge win today at my work. I've I've just been feeling really anxious about like the next step and everything. And 
I've realised as a person, and actually probably like as a woman, a lot of the time we do a lot of hinting. Personally, I'm not very good at asking for what I want or communicating how I feel in a position. As I say, terrible about asking for money. It's kind of the same thing. But today I just had this like real yes moment where they announced to me that they're going to be um, advertising for an assistant job. Um, and I'm an intern, so I was like, do you know what? I'm going to tell the CEO that I'm really interested in the job, that I have not no plans for when my internship finishes, and that I'd love to be considered if possible. And for some reason, just saying those words to someone that I've like hugely admired was the most terrifying thing ever to like advocate for myself or to tell someone what I want or what I'm planning to do. You know, whatever comes of it, I'm like, shit that is a win because i've never spoken like that to someone before being like this is this is actually what i want you know yeah so that's amazing big win big win for a tuesday that's great that's amazing thank you <laughs> thanks what about you guys have you thought of your win i did think of one but it's a bit heavier sorry is that okay no, no it's great yeah well, just to say that something really wonderful that happened so it came out of a sad place and that so we had our first performance in Mansell park a couple of days ago and a week ago, one of our actors went performance went down with COVID. So really sad for her that she couldn't perform, but also it's jeopardizing the entire tour that suddenly one person can't perform. Luckily, uh, we could find somebody to step in. And, and Mansell Park's not a really well-known opera. It's not just like, come and step in and sing, you know, Figaro. <laughs> it's, it's like <laughs> a really unique thing. But we found somebody, a, a young singer, um, and what was really amazing for them was they had learnt the role before, but because of COVID, the, their production was cancelled. So they learnt it, they spent all this time in 2020 learning this role, and it was cancelled, and that was their experience. And it just happened that the role we needed was the one that she had learnt. And so she could have her debut of the role, she came and sang it, um, and I just felt so pleased for her that she finally was able to sing the role that she put so much time and effort into learning and that we could give her that. And that's like something so sad, having one of our singers go down that we could welcome somebody new to the family. It's great. That's oh, amazing. That's so great. I want to cry. <laughs> but guys, the fact that your win was about someone else oh, is just yeah, It was about me, much. yeah. <laughs> I just can't with you. <laughs> This this has been too wholesome, this conversation, I swear. Yeah, oh. this has been really lovely. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. You have been such a lovely guest. Thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Thank you so much, both of you. I uh, really, really enjoyed talking to you. If you like this podcast, why not check us out on basically anywhere that you get your podcasts or at TMDTA Podcast on any of the socials or our website www.thingsmusiciansdonttalkabout.com. See you next time.